Good evening, everybody, and welcome to a special episode of The Coastal Echo. Today we're going to be discussing, um, I'm going to be freeballing this by myself. I am not going to be talking with anybody in particular. Uh, this is going to be one of the very few episodes in which I talk uh, by myself and on the topic of politics in the United States of America, um, why I believe, uh, what I believe exactly in what changes need to be made, and uh, after this episode, I, for the foreseeable future, don't particularly intend to um, speak much about it at all. So, um, yeah, because it's just something that is such a dividing issue, and I've studied it, and I've studied it for so long, and beyond most people that do have uh, college degrees in this sort of field, and I just, I don't care to continue my studying of it. I know plenty from Muammar Gaddafi's Third International Theory to Hen Henry, the, I forgot his last name, but he was the king of the northern part of Haiti and his system of corvées. You know, I've, I've learned an awful lot, and I've just, I'm done. I've let the entire uh, process of trying to learn more about it consume a significant portion of my life, so uh, I'm trying to move past that and into the politics of my own micronation, so I'm just going to speak out about it here once, and that's going to be it. So uh, one of the things that um, some people, not an awful lot, ask me when discussing micronation is they want to know why I think that micronationalism is, you know, necessary. Um, it's because, and it's not uh, very well known, um, the United States is, uh, it's very vulnerable to collapse, and there are several different ways, you know, like the rising pH levels to the massive amounts of debts that are being put on the trucking industry, but um, I'm just going to read two essays here that only cover two issues, um, you know, could also talk about, you know, like the fertilizer unsustainability and, you know, just the complete soil exhaustion. We could go on and on about all these things all day that might lead to the collapse of the United States of America. So, uh, first off, what we're going to talk about is this, 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 I'm not gonna be uh, preparing an essay or anything because there's already, I already have some very good writings here that um, are taken from various different places. So let's hop right into here. <clears throat> In the 1970s, the Americans were buying more oil than they had gold. Why? Because tanks, planes, ships, and the trade network required to make all of that can't function in the middle of the Cold War without oil. So what did we do? We suspended convertibility. The United States dollar can no longer be exchanged for gold. Saudi Arabia, however, said that they will price all of their oil in the United States dollar. What does this mean? This means that any nation that wishes to use oil to increase their gross domestic product has to have massive amounts of foreign exchange reserves to purchase oil. This resulted in 180 nations all demanding the United States dollar so that they can purchase oil. Then they manufacture things and sell it back to us, where we give them profit in the, United States, in the United States dollar to pay off the interest on their reserves. And for a while it was good for us, bad for everyone else. Because the world demands our currency, we can export inflation. If the dollar fell in value, exporters 
we rely on our consumption would have stronger currencies. Thus, we'd be paying more for these exported goods, causing less demand for exports, causing exporters to suffer. So instead, the exporters intentionally destroy their own currency to stay competitive to keep the United States dollar strong so that they could maximize exports and maintain employment for political purposes. This forced... This forced strength of the United States dollar allowed us to run infinite deficits to fund all the things you love. Welfare, food stamps, banking, bailouts, wars, met Medicare, etc. Because of these deficits, we have become the society we are today. We don't need to establish meaningful social connections with each other because we can just run to the government and get help literally for any problem under the sun. One big abstract bureaucracy to solve all local problems. And you don't have to be exposed to local risk or conflict. Sign me up and keep the cocaine coming. However, a problem happened. China must demand our dollars, so we run deficits, which means they need oil to grow. However, they don't want to pay the exchange to United States dollar to get that oil. They would rather price oil in yuan because they, too, want reserve currency status so they can afford massive societal transformation that they want. However, America needs that reserve currency or it will become total fucking bedlam as the national account gets amputated in the crudest way possible just to keep it, make it just to make it current. Taxation would have to be over 100% for decades just to keep the current spending paid off. So it is in our interest to keep China using the petrodollar system so that we can piggyback off their growth and continue running infinite deficits to keep the cocaine going. This has resulted in the currency trade wars we are in today, and it will escalate into a fiscal war at some point. If we win the war, that won't stop China from doing direct deals with other nations for their oil needs and thus leave the United States dollar out of it entirely. And if we lose the war, the DHS and billions of and the billions of bullets and the police state that is happening and are the backstop that will keep the federal government in, in power in case their power plays in Asia fail. If we lose reserve currency status, the world no longer demands our dollars, which means everyone holding on to them goes to give them back to the Fed in exchange for a giant fat bag. Nothing. The Fed won't even take it. The only thing people demanding the United States dollar at this point would be us, and those countries holding reserves would find a way to dump that on that money on us hook or by crook. And that's when hyperinflation happens. It will be sudden, it will happen over a single month. But that will happen after the drafting. If you think lawmakers aren't above drafting every single human being they can to fight for the petrodollar, you clearly don't understand how many deficits can be ran when one billion Chinese start consuming oil priced in your currency. So uh, this is absolutely true, but there's also another reason why uh, the United States uh, must continue its uh, Pax Americana that we're in. Uh, it's because we have a the, the world's only uh, blue water navy that can stretch to every ocean and uh, really just be everywhere at the same time. And being that as it were, uh, America having spent almost what was it, almost eight hundred billion dollars last this year on uh, their military. Uh, I don't particularly recall what uh, exactly the number was, but I do know that China spent around 200 billion and Russia spent around uh, 56 billion thereabouts. Um, being that as it were, it is essential for the world banking system and for the world peace that the system of United States military hegemony continues. And I believe that we must continue this 
even at the cost of the American people, because without this, there would be catastrophic humanitarian crises. So the only real thing we can do is continue it or have billions of people die, because people are no longer like they are in, say, the 1940s, where they had uh, pretty much every village produced its own food, or they were, uh, in a way, at least self-sustainable for mm, you know, most things. And they only imported things like, you know, medicine and luxuries. But nowadays, pretty much no town is sustainable at all. Even the towns that produce food are actually rampantly taking in things like fertilizer and, you know, farming equipment to maintain those fields. And, you know, like I said before, the fertilizer crisis is just a thing on its own. All this artificial fertilizer that is completely unnatural is uh, just completely demolishing the soil quality. And it takes a little bit more of this little artificial fertilizer every time to get the same yield, you see. And so, thus, it increases significantly, and that's in no way sustainable. So, all these things considered, um, I don't believe that America as it is today is sustainable. And if you'll continue to watch my podcast, you'll find out that I am all about sustainability. Uh, another post here, which is which admittedly should be taken with a grain of salt because it was supposedly posted by a former red team planner for the government. For those of you that don't know, a red team planner is somebody that takes a look at a certain organization or group or anything like that, and they, uh, they, they consider the ways that it might be attacked, or they consider uh, they do these war games too. It's a thing that we in the cybersecurity world have done. Uh, it's pretty common. So we definitely know the U.S. government has these. <clears throat> if there was a revolution in the U.S., the rest of the world would get involved fast, and depending on the type of uprising, there is a chance that it could, would not be a quick affair. It would be brutal. It would be bloody in the United States government, and it could start a global-scale war. Here are the top ten issues that came up in Red Gaming. The U.S. power grid could be taken down by a series of surgical strikes, with the exception of the Texas grid. By surgical strikes, a few marksmen hitting certain spots in the grid would fuck up a lot of the military and government because they need the grid more than Bubba and his friends do. Additionally, while all government agencies have backup generators, it would be hard-pressed dealing with the result in looting and other madness that would come from power outages. This would effectively create another front for the military. It would also turn the people against the government quicker than and paralyze the government's propaganda machine. Worse still, the key points of the U.S. power grid are public attainable information, and not only are the points too many, um, too many to be effectively guarded, they are not guarded anyways. This was always issue number one. An estimated desertion rate in the case of the Civil War is 75% in the case of a left-wing president, and 50% of that would be assumed to immediately betray the president. The army would be fighting its own, creating yet another front in the war. Additionally, it is assumed that 20 to 50% desertion or outright betrayal in three-letter government agencies. Additionally, 
there is also an assumed 5% of the 50 betrayers that would stay in their job and become saboteurs. Additionally, 10 of that 50% would contain key information that would be of critical danger to the United States government. Of that 10%, 1% would be able to deliver that information to the United States foreign enemies. What you would get from this is that the second the United States declares war on its own is the second that it ceases to exist as the state that we know it. Teabaggers and other right-wing extremists and Oath Keepers are generally considered to be untrained racists who aren't good with a gun, often are actually veterans who now have more time to have fun at the gun range, sometimes more than some army units or marine units, in addition to previous military training, often camp or do other outdoor activities, more than many in the military do as the focus has gone away from field exercise, and C, have often have better equipment outside of armor and heavy weapons in the military. However, C is kind of irrelevant because many of the places these people could hide would make the war, would make the kind of the war the U.S. fights with the equipment that exists like that to be pointless, meaning that I'm going to, meaning that um, the heavy armor, the tanks, and, you know, the drones and such would be pointless, ladies and gentlemen. Because uh, drones and tanks cannot stand outside on the street corner and command you to disperse. Because drones and tanks require quite an awful lot of, you know, resources to field. And being that as it were, if you simply shoot at a, t a car, you can get back to your job at McDonald's, no problem. Before anything like that is even deployed. That's how hit-and-run tactics work, and that is 100% how United States War would work. Outside influence is the is a huge fucking problem. Russia's already stated that they would back any Texas separation movement, and right now we already have enough problem keeping radical Islam in check. The second the U.S. has to fight in a civil war is the second it becomes a proxy war between NATO and whoever wants to fuck with America. While America has amazing nuclear defense, nuclear defense and air defense, if it comes to civil war, you really you have to assume that it's best case scenario that the United States military is going to be operating at 75% capacity, capacity at best. Shit would go down hard and fast. If Russia, spoiler alert, one of the best militaries of the world in the world at fighting in an urban environment, although granted I consider them to be paper tigers as they haven't even taken Crimea despite having been there for quite so many years, sent fucking trainers and helpers to rebels, you can reliably admit that they would also possibly deliver weapons to the rebels. So instead of fighting Timmy Teabagger, you are fighting Timmy Teabagger, who is best buddies with Vlad. Another individual has stated that another, another number one reason is why a civil war is not just the U.S. versus the rebels. There will be looting, there will be rioting, cities will burn, the National Guard cannot fight both the rebellions and the rioters in a city that would kill off their supplies. Additionally, if you don't think the rebels would send instigators into the cities or worse standalone actors, which is to say a lone wolf on steroids, or Timothy McVeigh, but instead of one van, they have a fleet of vans, and a good movie example of this would be Bane, you would be mistaken. Additionally, if the U.S. government cannot even help its own people, why would they? Why would its own people support its military? Worse yet, if somebody emptied out the prisons, and mind you, there are quite a significant amount of prisons in the United States, about two million of them, which is about the size of the entire Chinese army, you would have more crime than the police could ever handle. Logistics and infrastructure in the United States are crumbling. Any war fought against a rebellion in the United States would be a logistical nightmare, even before the rebels started going all full Al-Qaeda mode and putting IEDs in the road. 
A retired general who contracted with us on the team said the only thing holding the the United States infrastructure is basically duct tape and the will of the Department of Transportation, and oftentimes there is not enough duct tape. The most loyal cities to the U.S. government, as we polled, are most logistically to be cut off. New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, D.C., and Baltimore. Most of them require crossing water to, to get into... To, to get into from certain directions. Most of them have critical airports. Some of them have critical ocean ports. If anything happened to just two of the cities on the list, it would create a logistical clusterfuck. Your Johnny Rebel and Timmy Teabagger states slash red states all have something, something most of you are oh so progressive and aren't we so European and oh my god, we're just like Sweden blue states are for, are for the most part consumer states and not producer states. Urban areas do not have f farms. The Second shit goes down, realize that most of those blue areas are likely to starve. In a civil war scenario, we have predicted that at least 10,000 people would die of starvation in the, if the war was not finished within a year. The numbers get significantly worse after that. The U.S. has way too many choke points, and the government forces would often be on the wrong side of them. This ties into the logistical nightmare, but it also has to do with an odd phenomenon. Liberals like to live near the ocean. Many of the dividers of the country, like the Rocky Mountains and the Mississippi River, Appalachia, the Missouri River, are red states. Sure, air travel is a thing, but the majority of the United States government needs would have to travel by ground, and even still, many of the major airports are outside of the city. Of course, the United States would use military airfields, but if civil war did break out, which bases would be safe and which ones would have fallen to the traitors? And moreover, you have to consider the actual production of air fuel. PR nightmare. Every rebel killed on CNN would be spun as the U.S. government killed ex-civilians today in a strike on the TV. That is, as it was pointed out earlier, the United States media could even function as a, in a civil war without an uprising. Your rebel scum know that the main thing that holds together the U.S., nay, life in the U.S., as we know it, is the 24-hour news cycle on the media. The second it's gone, you are going to have some urban anarchy. If you are from America, can you imagine a day without TV, newspaper, or internet? Your average urban youth can't. And if you don't think that isn't going to cause rioting, then you must have a severely high regard for how much restraint they have. Assume that in a civil war, and your ability to talk to people is compromised. Also assume that in the case of a civil war, that rebels may know how to monitor conversations like the U.S. does, as there are manuals online for how to do so. Now, as a hacker, I can safely tell you that this is not at all an easy thing to do, and... It is very, um, how do I say this, foolish people to think that the United States government and any organization could monitor all of these things. In fact, Discord itself, which is, you know, getting a lot of flack recently for recording things, cannot even record all of your audio files because the sheer amount of just data that would take would be immense. And if you were going to try to, uh, you know, find all of the, you know, connections to every single device you could to monitor conversations, you would have to have a zero-day exploit, which not only would be very expensive and rare to find, but if you used it too much, it would be definitely would be noticed, and it would be either patched or it would become uh, saturated, as it were. So I don't particularly think that this is a good point here, but continuing on, 
this one is either 1 or 10, depending on who is asked. The U.S. will never nuke its own. The second it does, it will have lost the Civil War, and other countries will come to liberate the United States from its own repressive regime. Additionally, additionally if any general slash Minutemen slash nuke tech or nuke sub-captain decide to side with the rebellion, is the second the government, U.S. government, is uh, fucked. The second that a civilian uprising or extreme group terrorist attack turns into a civil war and is the second the United States loses. As a result, you will never see a civil war. You will see Waco, you will see Bun Bundy Ranch, you will see all sorts of militant group confrontations and maybe even some skirmishes, but the United States government fears its own people way too much to fuck with that sort of thing and start a civil war. Now, something that is noted here is that I did not read this to you so that you could, you know, understand and think, oh, well, it would be easy for me to start a civil war, because that, 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 that is not the case. Uh, as we can see right now, some of these points are definitely well thought out, and logically, you can take them, and some of them are, uh, you know, they, they sound like they're full of shit. But the point is that uh, the United States is definitely uh, in danger, of collapse, maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but five years uh, ago, you would never have been able to predict that in the year 2020, we would have the sort of shenanigans that we have today. And it should also be noted that the sheer amount of military assets that we have to continue to produce is what is really dragging down the United States, uh, you know, economy. If we were to stop producing and fielding all of these, you know, ships and, you know, soldiers and just all of this. If we were to stop doing that and we were to instead reinvest that money into the United States government and into its people, then we would most certainly see not only an immense amount of, you know, life... Um, quality of life going up but we would also witness a all-around improvement of our own infrastructure. In fact, it was recently, uh, I believe it was last year, agreed that um, the budget for rebuilding U.S. infrastructure would be $3 trillion, which is almost what uh, we spend in three years with the United States Army. But it should also be noted that should the United States Army, uh, you know, retreat into itself to the degree as it might we will also see the fall of several different countries that are absolutely dependent on our uh, input, to put it nicely. Uh, including to this is several regimes in the Middle East, which, mind you, uh, there is several countries in the Middle East that have, uh, like Israel has the Samson option, which is a supposedly fake uh, rumor but it came from a relatively reliable source when the whistle was blown that the state of Israel, should it, uh, you know, be destroyed, would decide to use its nuclear weapons to uh, destroy all of the oil uh, producing fields. And being that as it were, it would shut off a huge amount of, um, you know, oil infrastructure and completely ruin energy for a significant portion of the world. Now, another thing that I want to discuss 
which is outside of U.S. politics, is the immense amount of uh, possibility that uh, Russia will eventually invade the country of Turkmenistan. Now, you may not think this is particularly relevant, and Turkmenistan was at one point a uh, USSR state, but Turkmenistan was a is a country of almost four million people in the stands. Uh, it is bordering with Iran, just north of it, actually. Its own capital is bordering right next to Iran. But Turkmenistan, unlike any other country in the world, has a massive natural gas reserve. In fact, it's estimated that its current reserves are going to run out in 300 years at current demands. And being that as it were, and being the fact that it is not attached to an ocean, but rather requires pipelines, of which there will uh, eventually be one built in the Caspian Sea to transport it to its neighbors, and therefore to Europe, Russia will always see this country as a threat to its hegemony over oil in Germany and other European countries, because Germany is absolutely dependent on Russia for its oil imports. Russia is dependent on exporting its oil for Germany, being as it were that Russia is mostly a uh, country that lives in abject poverty. And what I mean by that is that Russia is not simply one country, but rather a federation, as you know, hence why it's called the Federation, the Russian Federation. But it's not just one country, it's several, and the, all these countries in this federation have significantly different systems. Like, and I believe it was Chechnya, they currently have, um, you know, concentration camps. For homosexuals, whereas in, you know, what is formerly Leningrad and what is now St. Petersburg, they have uh, rather large amounts of support for homosexuals. And the thing is that a large amount of these countries in Russia are um, entirely in abject poverty, without much infrastructure to speak of. In fact, the Soviet Union which has been criticized by many people for mostly building what is now known as commie blocks. Uh, most, not much has been built since then, if we're being quite honest. And most certainly not much has been built besides commie blocks that have just been, you know, outliving. Their, their development has been outliving the actual communism in the former USSR. So I definitely consider the fact that Russia, in order to maintain its control and its economy, will likely invade Turkmenistan and build the Caspian pipeline itself. And when this happens, it will lead to uh, Russia gaining a significant hegemony over the entirety of Europe, way more than it already does just from uh, Germany being as it will be able to, you know, satisfy everyone's needs for oil. And I also believe that China, being as it were that the Chinese government has spent billions upon billions of dollars attempting to secure uh, jobs for its people, and not necessarily profitable ones, but just jobs so that they don't rebel in much a Soviet manner, 
as the communists do. And being as it were that despite having one billion people or so, they only manage to produce uh, on one percent of their arable, on uh, maybe ten percent of their arable land as a whole. And being as it were that the Chinese government is entirely dependent on trade with the United States and its export of its uh, rare metals, of which only a few other places in the world actually possess, it should be noted that China is a banana republic in effect because of this. It should also be noted that uh, just the entire world, including Europe, is largely dependent on the United States and its policy of spending exorbitant amounts of money at its at the cost of its own prosperity realistically to both increase its own GDP and to make sure there is no great war because this system was not developed with the idea that there would be you know it, it wasn't developed to be sustainable you see it was developed to fight an enemy that enemy was the USSR, and that enemy no longer exists. And being as it were that China is the only possible other global uh, challenger for the United States is entirely dependent on trade with the United States, it should be noted that there really just is no point of fielding this many, many ships and fielding this entire military budget when in fact what could be done, being as it were that the United States has recently become energy independent with the uh, power to convert shale into energy now, you would uh, do well to do your research on this yourself, but if you choose to take me at my word, I assure you that the United States will take on a more isolationist stance as factories are now relocating to the United States and as the people are now beginning to realize that they have been fucked over for someone else's benefit. Now, continuing on with the trend of discussing um, solutions to this possible you know, debacle and uh, uh, ignoring the rest of you know, the issues that would potentially cause the United States to destroy itself or to enable it to be destroyed by an outside force, although not invaded, mind you. Uh, I suggest a few solutions to this. The first one is I suggest that the top 10 richest people in the world, not the world, but in the United States, should have their fortunes nationalized under a government-owned hedge fund which will trade using the insider information supplied to it by the Securities and Exchange Commission. And being that as it were, it would enable the government at any point in time that there is a massive financial crisis to essentially buy up chunks of its own economy. And it would enable the government, because you know Jeff Bezos and all these people who have not paid taxes in any meaningful way for so many, so many years, 
It would enable them to collect on this for the betterment of the people. It would also show that the person in charge, which decrees this order, is both capable of taking down these people that have long been seen as untouchable and who are quite possibly one of the uh, largest, uh, you know, hegemons of funding various different nonsense throughout the world. Although it should be noted that I do admire Bill Gates for his philanthropy, for his efforts to make the world a better place. I also don't trust him, being that he's a billionaire businessman. And I very well think that what sort of, oh, I'm helping everybody could very well be a facade. I believe that if we were to nationalize this, and given the average return rate of the um, the average return rate of a hedge fund in the United States, even without the insider information trading, then one could see that it would be not entirely unreasonable that. Uh, a return rate of 3.1% could be possible. And 3.1% is an important note here, because 3.1% is about $20 billion. And $20 billion is what the United States needs to solve its homelessness, homeless issue every year. Both with feeding and housing its people. And of which it could be defeated. It should also be noted that this particular uh, plan could see, you know, the uh, means of production as being returned to the people as the capitalists, burgoys, bourgeois, I honestly have only ever read the word, I don't particularly listen to many communist uh, speakers. and they would be screwed over by this, the 1%, but the people that do not invest in the stock market, which is to say most people, would uh, not. And even if you were to look at this as a way that uh, the government would be fucking over these people, you should also consider that these uh, businesses, which are owned only in part by the government, would still be managed by you know, the middle class for the smaller businesses. Honestly, it would be quite the innovative solution, if I don't say so myself. And we could effectively nationalize entire industries without causing their input and output to change, and without, uh, you know, seizing things, as it were, but rather simply not playing by the rules. In addition to this, and in addition to the uh, trend of this podcast with discussing the fall of the United States, uh, I believe that we should ban, well, not ban, but limit uh, the right to freedom of speech. And what I mean by that is not that you should not question the government, but rather that it should be against the rules and against general, general social politeness to ever ally or to advocate for the destruction of another individual's rights.
and what I mean by this is not just uh, the sort of people that are racist, like the KKK or the American Nazi Party, that ad do in fact advocate for some extremist action against minorities in America, such as uh, Latins, Latinos, and uh, blacks, and various other nationalities, but also the anti-gun right activists, because I do believe that guns are essential to any government that seeks to uh, not be... I mean, it's, it's essential to any people who seek to not be ruled by a tyrant, and Karl Marx himself even witnessed this and wrote about it, saying that any uh, attempt to disarm the working class should be met with the utmost uh, violent response, I believe, although you should look that up for yourself. And being this as it were, it would outlaw, for one, it would outlaw the KKK, it would outlaw the extremist uh, people that have suggested in the past that uh, white people are truly evil. It would outlaw the liberals that would come to take and relieve us of our guns, which would disable us from fighting against the government, which would be exceptionally easy, as you have previously heard. And it would also place a general ban on the homophobes, such as uh, Pastor Anderson, I believe his name is David Anderson, but uh, his name is Anderson something, and he has been advocating, along with, you know, a significant portion of America's clergy, that all homosexuals should be killed. And I also believe that this sort of uh, behavior, without actually, uh, you know, attempting to destroy the church itself, but rather to uh, come about and do it softly, a good choice for this would be to uh, simply put a tax, like a growing tax, on every church that advocates for this. So I do advocate that churches should be taxed by all means, but uh, specifically I mean the sort of church that advocates for the uh, continued uh, oppression of homosexuals, minorities, and the like. And should they all be, you know, continuously taxed, say perhaps 5-10% more every year that they continue, and that they should not uh, speak in favorable terms of the rights of all men and women, regardless of orientation and race, that they should eventually uh, cease to exist as an organization, being as it were that their taxes would simply become too hard to make, and they would have to make a choice between their money and their taxes, and without their money, I mean their money and their faith, and without their money, they would effectively uh, burn out, and without their faith, well, they would be perfectly fine being normal Christians and simply not being homophobic. Moving on, to another subject is the current state of Europe, which although this is not related to uh, the United States directly, but it should be noted that in Europe several decades ago, during a uh, United States economic boom, I believe it was the 70s, the European people simply stopped reproducing. 
the same that the Russians did around the time that the Soviet Union uh, collapsed. And being that, as it were, the population has uh, stagnated, and the vast majority of people that are now entering into the generous pension system, which can only be afforded because of the United States uh, providing their entire defense, is uh, astronomical, and the amount of people completely uh, outnumber the amount, uh, the amount of young people that are estimated to enter into the workforce. So you would have the modern medicine producing, you know, Granny Hester, who, well, 60 years old, decides to retire, will live for another 30 years, up to 90, rather than, you know, perhaps 64, as would have normally been the case a few decades ago. And uh, she will not be productive towards society for 30-odd years, being this as it were, and calculating at just a mere, you know, maybe $2,000 per old person, which is quite generous. I live in Florida, so you might imagine that it's definitely more than $2,000. $2,000 for every one million old people would be about... It would be $2 billion for every old person every year for every one million that entered into the system. Now, mind you, this is likely incorrect, and it's likely to be somewhere closer to $100 billion or so, and perhaps even a trillion, all things considered. But millions upon millions of these people will be entering into the system, and they will last for years and years, especially given modern medicine. And... Uh, there simply is not enough people to enter the workforce. So the solution, people having seen this coming on the horizon, and the solution they have sold the government of all these nations, is that they should import people that are uh, of third world descent that will effectively uh, replace and fund their pension. And of course this is entirely false and the vast majority of the refugees in this supposed crisis are neither from war-torn areas, but rather are simply coming here to seek uh, money and currency. And these people are not uh, producing anything for the government or the people. They are in fact taking up money, as the government must now host this uh, significant amount of people. And where is it do you think the government gets money from? Well, it's not just the taxes. Because if they were to increase taxes to such a high degree to uh, field these people, they would have to uh, be voted out of office and replaced with somebody that would not tax them, as the democratic system works. So instead of going to the people, they have and instead of just simply printing money, they have decided to go to the banks. And the banks have been giving them loans, billions upon billions of dollars, which they are using to feed, clothe, and house these refugees. And these refugees are costing the governments every so many years so much significant amounts significant amounts of their GDP that the government will eventually always and perpetually be in debt, whereas before they had only small amounts of debts in Europe, and now they will be paying for it for the rest of the existence of the state at much to the displeasure of the people and much to the pleasure of the banker class. Which, mind you, do not live anywhere near the areas where these refugees are living and uh, importing themselves to, but rather live 
either in the United States or in much more uh, economically um, prosperous regions of Europe. Now being this said, as it were, and being that it is uh, roughly impossible to uh, defeat this system without giving up control, it would be a much better idea for a Sino-American alliance to be developed, I'm sure, and this Sino-American alliance, of whom China spends roughly $200 billion on its defense and America spends $800 billion, would have the collective capacity to effectively not only police the world, but to ensure that their view of the world would be uh, established. And by this I mean China would be able to uh, cease to be simply a banana republic, and it would instead become much more uh, prosperous as it uh, comes to Africa to colonize. And I do advocate for the Chinese colonizing Africa, being as it were that the West has decided so graciously that they should continue to fund the African nations, which are not, in fact, nations, but rather distended political entities drawn up by people with no concern for the actual nations that are there, and as such, the borders are entirely nonsense. The people in uh, the Chinese government would come to all these African nations, and they would build infrastructure, and they would do all these things, just as some of the European nations did before, although it should be noted that it would be done without the immense racial prejudice as we saw in such places as Belgium and their rather uh, despicable actions in the Congo, what with the rubber and the hands. But rather it would be a better and more prosperous event for all if China were to simply take it over, as in Africa and with these countries they would often use the uh, foreign aid to their advantage. For example, in Rwanda, with the war they had, they realized that they were entirely outclassed and being as it were that Rwanda has no particular resources that could, uh, pr that could protect them, they simply caused a famine on purpose by uh, putting immense amounts of taxes and destroying their farming equipment, and as such, France gave them $10 billion. They used this $10 billion to uh, bolster their military. None of it went towards the actual famine. They simply stopped doing what they were doing to cause the famine. And they used this immensely new and improved army to win a war against another African nation. Now, I don't know if uh, you've heard the phrase, but uh, do not feed the birds. Because Africa and the other uh, populous nations of the world are set to increase and increase until there is simply no more resources left, and being as it were that the Earth is already incapable of sustaining this many people for any reasonable amount of time, and being as it were that we're going to reach a population of about 9 billion by the year 2050, it should be, uh, it should be noted that this is, this is the only way that we can uh, perhaps curve this. I also advocate for seasteading. And being as it were, I have an article right here that uh, discusses the matter. It, say, it states that ocean uh, seaweed 
uh, produces enough biofuel to, if we were to take 3%, a mere 3% of the ocean for uh, the production of this seaweed, and not even including genetic manipulation techniques and uh, potential breeding of new strains, we would have a large-scale uh, we would have a large-scale, um, basically, biofuel production, which would be able to sustain uh, the entirety of the United States, and in fact, uh, perhaps the world. And this, to me, is not only biofuel, and therefore, uh, perhaps the... Uh, most clean resource we have to this day to fuel, apart from, you know, perhaps helium-3, and or helium-4, I forget which one it is. This is the fact that we must pursue, and this alongside, you know, housing on the sea and creating real estate where there was none, is also something that uh, simply cannot be ignored with uh, the current trends we see in society. Now, having spoke on this, and having spoke on all the other issues, which uh, they will not be solved in the way that I have described, because it does not suit the politicians, there is too much red tape, there is, uh, it would be considered a violation of the rights to even nationalize all the money of these billionaires who have been robbing us for so long. But it should be described as something that I have simply decided to opt out of, because why should I continue to study this and to acknowledge it when instead I can build my own system in the form of a micronation that is independent of this? Uh, one more thing before we begin discussing the micronation is a interesting fact that I would like to share with you. In 1942, roughly 15 million families planted what are called Victory Gardens. By 1944, an estimated 20 million Victory Gardens were produced. Roughly 8 million tons of food, which was the equivalent of more than 40% of all the fresh fruits and vegetables consumed in uh, the United States. Now, people will often uh, go and consider their uh, stores to be the main source of food, but that doesn't have to happen, because in fact, if everybody in the United States were to uh, attempt to grow more Victory Gardens, I have no doubt that we would be able to uh, effectively create far more food, far more food, in a sustainable manner, because biomass itself is not at all a issue, but we would be able to create far more food and fresh fruits and vegetables than we could ever require for ourselves. It would be far healthier. It would entirely rob the United States uh, farming and you know food industry of significant amounts of profit, which is a good thing if you've watched the documentary Food Incorporated. I definitely suggest you all watch it, but it is very eye-opening, and 
if we were to produce and do all this, then in the event that this revolution does occur, which having done more research on this and having done in-depth looks at the actual uh, electrical grids and shipping routes of the United States, I can assure you it is most definitely possible. I believe that this is necessary and desirable that everybody should grow as much food as they can, as sustainably as possible, to feed everybody should the United States collapse. Now I know this is not possible in some areas as, you know, the desert states of Arizona and Nevada and Las, in, uh, Las Vegas and all these like, but you understand what I, where I'm coming from. So, moving on and back to the micronation. It is my belief that democracy has failed. Not in the sense that democracy has uh, effectively collapsed as communism has or as monarchy has, but rather, but rather democracy has failed to adapt with the modern era where people cast very long shadows and people that have no right to speak on anything as they are not educated are valued just as much as the people that are educated. And the people have no uh, particular interest in actually being taught about their politics. They don't desire to know the equivalent of truth. They simply desire to be correct. And speaking from personal experience, both extremists on either side have been growing in the recent years. As the entirety of United States politics has been polarized to the point where you must pick a side, when in fact ideology itself is a pitfall, and we must approach every problem with the same peaceful attitude as we would any problem in our personal lives, and we must develop and execute a solution free of previous uh, con presumptions. And I suggest, personally, that anybody out there watching this should, rather than simply voting on party lines, should actually take the time to consider the very policies they're voting for. I myself go by uh, the three of Socrates' arguments. Logos, pathos, and ethos. Whenever I consider a policy, I must ask myself, does it fit with the morality of the people? Does it fit with the opinions of the experts? And does it fit with logic itself? Because no solution can sustain itself and be a long-term solution should it uh, ignore one of these things. Now, in the left, you would see people arguing simply for emotion, and on the right, you would see people arguing for logic. And on that note, it should be obvious that neither can rule any sort of human population for very long, being that humans are neither logical nor emotional entirely. But still, it is carried on with people uh, mostly 
uh, advocating for their wing. On the right, you have several hundred people that have been sold this idea that statistics and quotes from people of note are worth uh, paying attention to and adopting the opinions of. I would have it noted that not only is this incorrect, but it is a dangerous thing. For you see, an example I can give you of this is the uh, homophobic things that have been perpetuated during Operation Pride Fall, which has happened this uh, Pride Month in the year 2020. They, uh, the right wing from Poll, the politically incorrect board, which I have much experience with, has been posting these statistics and these quotes and all this nonsense, and it's hard to argue with them. It's hard to argue with them because they're giving sources. But I have something to ask you right-wingers out there that may be listening to this. If you believe that the Jews control the United States government, then why, I wonder, do you believe that the Jews would give this information so freely if it obviously would not benefit to do them to benefit them to do so, as they are uh, pro-homosexual in your opinion? And on that note, I shall have it noted that the vast amount of these statistics have been falsified. They have been taken from various different uh, false census things and surveys, and the actual person that created a significant amount of these was fired from the U.S. Census Bureau for falsifying data to his own, uh, you know, political opinions, and then using it to uh, justify arguments on a massive scale. And he would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for the fact that people aren't fucking stupid, as he would have us believe. In fact, I'd like to take this note this time to describe something that I read the other day. Peterson might be worried, talking about George Peterson, oh, Jordan Peterson, apologies, might be worried about the fates of children raised by gay couples, but an overwhelming number of other scientists are not. Only four of 79 studies surveyed by the Columbia Law School suggested that children raised by gay couples faced any adverse effects, but all four took their samples from children who endured family breakups. Over at The Guardian, Nick Evershed cites two other reviews that support the conclusion that children are just as well off being raised by gay parents as they are by straight ones. Now, I would like to, uh, again, have it noted that uh, this quote is taken out of context with the article. Jordan Peterson uh, does not actually uh, argue against the homosexual adoption or uh, homosexual marriage. He's actually uh, pro both of these things, and he simply states that if a, uh, there must be a mother and father figure, and by that I do not mean by gender, but rather that one of the parents must be soft and one of them must be, well, fatherly, even if there are two men or two women. And to this, I do not have enough information to argue about whether or not he is correct on this uh, particular method of childcare. But moving on from this, 
you can see the reasons why I believe that the United States is doomed in its current way, and that it is simply impossible to have any sort of meaningful change without dramatic effect to the economy, and we can already see it with coronavirus and with these people who cast long shadows, despite being no one in particular, who are on social media by casting long shadows. I mean, they have a significant outreach of followers who read what they say. And these people who cast these long shadows are uh, fueling the Black Lives Matter riots that are destroying the uh, traditionally Democrat-held uh, cities, which will only serve to erode their particular and traditionally held power bases. And it has already done, I suspect, billions of dollars. We have not added all the you know, looting and the destruction of businesses together, but it is no doubt in the high millions. And it has already done so much damage, and the United States is utterly incapable of fighting it because they would first need to hamper free speech in order to fight it in online without, you know, directly having the social media platforms ban people, which would... Uh, cause mass exoduses to uh, platforms that did not ban people for these opinions and for the words they say, such as Gab, which has already ca gathered a very large following, all things considered, for a t Twitter clone. And it would also have to have soldiers take care of people, and that simply cannot be put online in the age of the internet, and that would simply uh, further spur them on. So the United States government is effectively helpless, and being as it were that they will, you know, continue to see change based on rioting and the like, I believe that it will simply become commonplace to riot in the United States government when something is desired, and it is already becoming more and more common. Eventually, these riots, as we see today with the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone and the Nevada Autonomous Zone, or is it the Tennessee Autonomous Zone, there are quite a few that are popping up, and you can already see with them, they are outright breaking the law of the government and attempting to establish their own societies. Now granted, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone has been uh, said to be become the Capitol Hill Occupation Protest, which is, or the Capitol Hill Occupation Movement, which is uh, not going to happen, as Autonomous Zone has already been what they have perpetrated, and they are uh, in effect as of right now, and before, you know, the riots settle down and the actual authorities can come in to clear them out, a separatist state in all but name and to a degree in name being that they put up a border that said you are now leaving the United States on their border. So I believe that the United States is due for a collapse. I believe that when it does, it will cause an international war, being that Europe simply does not have the capacity to even sustain itself, let alone its global hegemony. I believe that Russia 
and Africa and China will all have their little showdown. Russia is at an obvious significant disadvantage, China at an obvious advantage, but we will need to move very quickly in order to sustain this advantage. I believe that these groups will destroy each other in this war, and with the Syrian civil war we saw the amount of devastation and destruction. And some of the governments have already decided that nuclear war is uh, much more desirable than what has happened to Syria, where you have seen a uh, much less bloodier version of what we have seen, what I have discussed here. And I say less bloody because not everybody has a gun. And their population was very little compared to the United States or other fertile areas, being that they lived in a desert. And still they managed to have a massive war that was quite bloodthirsty all around. So to conclude this podcast, these are the reasons, to conclude this part of the podcast, these are the reasons why I believe that micronationalism, at least for me and for the people that I will surely in the future come to love and who I currently love, uh, they need a place to stay for the inevitable collapse, and that is the goal of my life, to advance technology in whatever way I can, and to establish my own autonomous zone for the moment, and then later a independent nation should this shitstorm go down. I will do this, and you may do your own searches, but there is a country that I would get your, draw your attention to, and that would be Monaco. Monaco is a principality on the border of France and the ocean, entirely surrounded by France and the ocean. And Monaco consists of a 400 acres. Now, you may not think that is much, but it's actually quite a surprising amount, all things considered because 400 acres is more than enough to feed several thousand people. It is more than enough to build enough houses. Uh, the Kowloon Walled City, which took up a mere four acres, had, what, 50,000 people in a mere four acres? In fact, according to what I have just pulled up here, it had roughly a total of 50,000 people, which was a uh, one, almost a two million pop per kilometer, square kilometer population density. Amazing, isn't it? You can buy and purchase land in Maine and in many, many other areas of the, the United States for a few hundred thousand dollars that are fertile, that are in less populated areas, such as Maine, or Montana, or even Oregon. And in British Columbia, Canada, you may purchase or lease, rather lease, land from the government, which is up to a few million acres for a few hundred thousand dollars. If a man were to take perhaps $20 million I calculated and purchased land throughout 
both Canada and the United States. At absolute most, you could have more than enough land to become equal to the size of Luxembourg. And this is a European country in between uh, France and Germany. Quite a significant size, I might add. So with this in mind, I have decided that using this podcast and using my other, you know, entrepreneurial efforts, I will save money in any way that I can to purchase several hundred acres of land in Maine or Oregon or Montana or anywhere where I can find land in abundance for such a cheap price. And upon this land, I and the followers of this podcast who agree with my own political stances and who agree that the United States is in fact in danger of collapse, shall congregate and shall establish a commune. And this commune shall be called... Well, as it stands right now, it shall be called the Coastal Republic. And this will be where I and my followers in the future will live. It is not entirely unthinkable for those of you who are listening now, being as it were that I have in the past uh, come to... Uh, um, I, I, if you follow me on other platforms, you'll find that I have over a million streams on Spotify for my music. And I intend to promote this podcast in the same way. And in doing so, should I have a million or so listeners every you know, podcast, or every month even, which is not unthinkable at all, if I do this for so many years, and I only started doing Spotify music a couple months ago. And I intend to do this until I have at least $350,000 to purchase land. I have a land listing pulled up right now, and it states that for $279,000, land is for sale for 678 acres which is more than what I anticipated. So I invite you to continue to listen to my podcast, to hear me discuss the things that I intend to create for the Micronation, to hear me discuss sustainability, to hear me discuss my hobbies, to hear me discuss music, and to hear me discuss drama. I invite you to listen to it all, and then Perhaps when I have enough viewers, I will be able to purchase this, and I will be able to achieve my dream. But even if I don't, by means of podcast, or even if I don't, by means of whatever entrepreneurial efforts, I am attaining an education in a field which will enable me to make enough money to do it regardless. So. Perhaps in one year, perhaps in ten years, regardless, I am set in this path. And I believe that for the sake of my own future children, that 
I must do this, otherwise they will have no future anywhere else. And that concludes today's episode of the Coastal Echo. And that concludes my discussion of United States politics. I invite you to join me next episode, where I will discuss the politics of the future Coastal Republic. I will discuss the many places where I draw it from, and I will discuss the future of this podcast in greater detail. Good night to you all, and I hope that you take what I say with a grain of salt, and I hope that you do your own research.